Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got championship week here in college football. Kind of a weird feeling that we've made it to this point, but here we are. We're going to cover all of these big matchups in this episode, and we are going to start off with Ben Fennell and Saturday Scouting, where we will break down some of the matchups for this weekend. We'll hear from Todd McShay's big board. He's got his most, his latest top 32. We'll take a look at that. We'll break that down, and we'll also highlight the traits that we value most at a very specific kind of role player on an NFL team. We'll get all into that in our Under the Hood segment. After that, we've got Mr. Relevant, where Dan Arlovsky, you know him, as a former longtime backup quarterback in the NFL. He's now one of the best football analysts in the business for ESPN. We'll talk about a bunch of players that he's seen so far this year and how they project to the NFL. After that, we'll wrap it up with Pick 6, where Ross Tucker and I will once again go head-to-head with another set of six games. Again, championship weekend, we've got a lot to discuss. But Before we get into the rest of the show, just a quick reminder, jump out of Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It is the best way to throw us your support as we enter the holiday season. The holidays are, you know, we got a Hanukkah that's going on right now. We've got Christmas next week. It's the the giving season. So if you can, go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Really appreciate everybody that has done that. All right, let's get into the rest of the show. Let's start things off with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Well, excited to welcome back here for Saturday Scouting, my friend Ben Fennel. Ben, let's get into some matchups here. Championship week in college football. Uh, as I said at the top, a little weird that we're here, but we are here, and it's going to be fun to watch some of these big games here this weekend. I'll get us uh, started here with the SEC title, Alabama-Florida. And I know one of your favorite players to watch, really one of your favorite units to watch, is that Alabama offensive line. And I'm looking at Landon Dickerson. I'm looking at Deontay Brown. Those guys, the people movers up front against that Florida front where T.J. Slayton, Terrell Slayton, mammoth nose tackle uh, got announced for the East West Shrine Bowl. Obviously they're not playing that game this year, but got announced that he got the invite and accepted the invite uh, to be a part of the festivities down there. And I think if you look at TJ Slayton, this guy is tough to move. I know that people on that staff were really high on him coming into the year. I don't know if he quite matched uh, their expectations, but this is a guy that can stop the run and again, really does well in the run game. So I'm looking at Lander Dickerson and Deontay Brown trying to move TJ Slayton. That's a battle of heavyweights down there in the trenches in the SEC title. Yeah, absolutely. Landon Dickerson's a heavier center than the uh, traditional, you know, 290, 295 athletic center. So it's definitely a heavyweight battle. I got a game for you Friday night, Oregon, USC, Oregon, a lot of interesting talent in the secondary. Diamador Lenore corner, thick corner. Going to be seeing a lot of Amonra St. Brown, who St. Brown the last two games. 17 for 138 in six touchdowns. Mm. So an absolute end zone magnet. Love to see those two match up. I have to move Amonra St. Brown a little. I want to see him moved around a little bit more this year. It seems like he's been outside the numbers. I think he could do more in the slot and in the backfield roles. I want to see some easier offense to him. Who do you like uh, in that game, USC, Oregon? I like USC. You know, I really like Keaton Slovis. I like all these weapons and Drake London and Amonra St. Brown and those safeties in USC, Hufanga and uh, – Isaiah Paul Mao, two picks last week each. Um, you know, so a lot of playmakers, Drake Jackson. I just I think USC's got too much talent. 
All right, let's go to the ACC title. And I, and I want to look down uh, at these Clemson, the Clemson offensive line versus the Notre Dame defensive line. For Clemson, uh, that left tackle, Jackson Carmen, the only guy that's draft eligible, uh, that's in turn, you know, being considered a prospect right now, but uh, three-year starter at left tackle. He's big. He's physical. He, he's got the ability to move people as well off the ball. And I see him going up against a pair of Notre Dame edge rushers, guys that they move around from side to side, and both guys are going to the senior ball. And when you, I say these guys, really you're talking about – Dalen Hayes, I know you're a big fan of Dalen Hayes, 6'3", 266 pounds. He's got the ability to square up and be a good run defender, but also has that ability to impact the quarterback. And then also Ade Ogdenji, uh, also from Notre Dame, 6'4", 268. Both similar kind of builds. One guy, Both guys can really win with length and lock out. I'm interested to see if those guys can control the edges a little bit against this Clemson offense. It's going to be a little bit of a different feel. Interested to kind of get your thoughts on that matchup. And who do you like in this game? You like Clemson or Notre Dame? I'm going with Clemson. I don't think uh, Notre Dame can knock off the Clemson Tigers two times in a uh, singular football season. But I thought Dalen Hayes is one of the best players on the field uh, that last matchup there. So really yeah. interested to see that matchup as well. Some people, uh, scouts at the next level, are thinking Jackson Carmen might want to slide into guard at the next level. So interested to see if he uh, has any trouble with some speed out on the edge. But we're going to uh, go down to the Big 12 here, Oklahoma-Iowa State, another mm. rematch uh, from the midseason victory of Iowa State. Oklahoma's got some terrors off the edge. Ronnie Perkins, Nick Benito, I want to see how they uh, get after Brock Purdy this week. Ten combined pressures in that uh, game last year. Purdy had five touchdowns last year. Iowa State just lost 42-41 in that 2019 matchup, uh, but did get the win earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. Right, friend? Yes, uh, they did. Iowa State State got the win. That's why I was actually going to ask. I'm assuming uh, using your logic from the Clemson-Notre Dame matchup, you like uh, Oklahoma to to get even with Iowa State. I do. I don't don't see them knocking them off twice in a year there. But uh, I remember that 2019 game uh, pretty vividly, and there's a really high-scoring game, 42-41, and a lot of pressures. Uh, I just didn't see Perkins and Benito show up in that earlier 2020 matchup. So I just want to see them uh, cause a little more havoc in the backfield. Yeah, it's, uh, that's certainly going to be a big game. I'm really excited about that Big 12 title. I'll give my thoughts on these games a little bit later here with Ross. Let's get to our big board breakdown. We usually break down a mock draft. Well, this week we had ESPN put out some new big boards. Todd McShay uh, put his out on Wednesday. Mel Kuyper put his out on Thursday. Let's go through Todd's and just take a look uh, you know, at some of the things that stand out. And for me... Just check another one off the off the box here. Another one that another analyst that has Devonte Smith, the star receiver from Alabama, Heisman Trophy candidate, ahead of LSU's Jamar Chase. I think this is going to be really interesting, Ben, because um, you know obviously we all talk about Jamar Chase coming into the year. Hey, when he opted out, oh, he's got you know there's there's nothing to prove. We know who Jamar Chase is. Well, Devontae Smith's kind of proven that wrong, right? In terms of, uh, you know, you go back for that final year and you put this on your on tape, you put that on your resume, and now he's moved ahead of Jamar Chase. And if for in the eyes of a lot of people, I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but a lot of people, a lot of smart people, really like Devontae Smith even ahead of a guy like Jamar Chase. I think it's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind with Jamar Chase. I know. Right? We had yeah. arguably the best receiving season ever from a college football receiver last year in their prolific national championship run. But he hasn't been on the field in 2020, and Devontae Smith's taken that opportunity to uh, produce and make a lot of headlines and suddenly slide ahead of Chase on a lot of these receiver rankings. That's typically how it goes. Let's stay in the receiver category because their seventh overall player is Minnesota receiver Rashad Bateman, and that's over Jalen Waddell, which you're not seeing a whole lot. Same kind of thing. Jalen Waddell has seemingly soared over a lot of these other receivers this year with his prolific play in those first month, month and a half before he got dinged up. But Rashad Bateman, 
That means Todd McShay's seventh overall player. Mm. And this is a guy that a lot of people are expecting to run four, five, five, maybe even four, six. But this guy is an absolute technician and probably the best technician route runner in this draft. So you might be getting a Devontae Adams. You might be getting a Keenan Allen style of player, which if that's what you're getting, seventh overall is more than worth it. So uh, my next one, one of the things I love doing about uh, are looking at the uh, the big boards that guys at ESPN and NFL Network put out is that they'll very often show the movement on players since their last release of the big board, right? So uh, I always say, all right, who are guys that jumped in? Who are, you know, that, you know, maybe they moved into the top 50, into the top 20. And Christian Darasaw was the only new guy that jumped into Todd McShay's top 32. I believe he was at 20 overall. Um when I look at Christian Darasaw, this is a guy that we've been talking about now uh, for a few weeks and certainly a guy that's gotten a lot of buzz lately. But I thought that was interesting uh, to see Todd bump him up. It uh, looks like all reports are pointing to him declaring for this draft and being a part of this offensive tackle class. There are some that view him as a potential guard, but I do think uh, we'll see him as one of the first tackles off the board when it's all said and done, Ben. Yeah, it seems like people are just a little bit behind on uh, becoming aware of Christian Darasaw, who's a, a true junior. Um playing a lot of good ball for Virginia Tech and has really ascended the way Khalil Herbert has ascended with his uh, ability running the ball in that backfield. But a couple other notes, Rashawn Slater listed as a center, which a lot of people are projecting the former left yep. tackle of Northwestern to slide inside at either guard or center. But a lot of people we trust are also saying, go put on that Chase Young tape and watch him at tackle. Mm. He could handle elite pass rushers. Samuel Cosme, offensive tackle two right behind uh, Penny Sewell. I think behind Sewell, the conversation is still very murky with that tackle class. It's deep, but they're all over the place with the rankings. Joseph Asai, you notice him down that list, Fran? Yeah, I did. Listed at inside linebacker, which he did play off ball last year at Texas. Was a little bit of a hybrid player at 255 pounds playing off ball. Then he'll come be a sub rusher. 2020, he's pretty much just a sub rusher and a Sam linebacker down on the line of scrimmage. So interested to see if they really think he's going to play off ball at the next level. A mm. um, couple other things, only two tight ends in that uh, that big board, only one interior defensive tackle, which seems like the way it's trending as well. Yeah. So uh, last couple of nuggets there. Yeah, as we talked about uh, at the end of last week's or early, earlier this week episode uh, about that defensive tackle class. Not a lot of people super you know, like high. Christian Barrymore's hanging on there, but he's sliding, 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 and he might be sliding his way right out of that uh top 32 no question well let's get to our last topic here and that's where we go under the hood we pick one position three factors or traits that matter most to us when we're projecting it's the next level i want to have a little bit of fun of this one man and we're going to do special teams ace and this is a very important player or players on an nfl team guys that are your core special teamers there are certain qualities that people look for to project to this role. You're not often drafting for that role. You want guys that are going to be impactful on offense and defense, but let's talk through the guys that have that skill set to be your special teams ace. And I'll let you kick things off. What's the first trait that you're looking for there? Well, firstly, just to uh, describe who we're talking about, because special teams ace, we're not talking about the return specialist. Yes. So correct. this isn't the Devin Hester's, Brian Mitchell's, Dante Hall's of the world. It's more of the Matthew Slater's, the Kasim Osgood's, you know, the Steve Tasker's. Um, we all remember Sean Morey in the 2000s or these journeyman guys, Anthony Levine, Chris Banjo, Brian Bremen, Lorenzo Alexander got his start. Remember Mike Furry with the Lions, yep. you know, uh, about 10 years ago. Um, but the things we're going to need out of this, uh, these types of players – just this, it's a different type of mental makeup being a back end of the roster and being a core special teamer. So I need the competitive nature. I need the toughness. 
it just comes with a little natural humility and that you aren't a star on offense or defense and that you are the special teams guy. And you really have to have that team centric attitude on just doing whatever it is that needs to be done uh, and helping wherever you can. And I think the mental makeup, the competitiveness uh, is certainly important in the guys that are, uh, you know, primarily fielding these roles. I put the the, the uh, toughness aspect of that certainly is a big part of it. You need to be you need those guys to be going full bore at all times, and the willingness to accept that role for sure is a big part of it. And that's why, to me, I like the guys that have experience doing it. You know, whether you look at uh, some of the best programs in college, you know, they'll use their starters on special teams, and you'll see that there are some guys. You know, hey, maybe they played at a lower level um, of competition, but they played a lot of special teams. I like seeing the guys that have done it before. And it, by the way, if you are a I don't want to say a marginal prospect, but if you're a day three player or a guy that I feel is a developmental starter and you've never played special teams. That's that really sticks with me because now I'm a little worried. Like, all right, well, what is this guy going to do as he's developing? He may not be able to stick on your 53. He might have to play, be on the practice squad because he can't play special teams, and that's going to affect his his value. So, to me, um, the the experience factor of that certainly plays a, a role as well. What's the second one for you? So the next one is the general, uh, you know, makeup of these special teams, coverage units, return units is it's open space football. Yep. And that's kind of eliminating the field goal block and the field goal protect. Obviously, that's a very quick action play. But yeah, that's not, I, talk, I, don't, I don't even count that. Yep. Yeah, more talking the coverage units and things. And that's that's wide open spaces. So you have to have players that are very fluid and athletic and have agility and change of direction and know how to take proper angles and very naturally instinctive players. Um because of how fluid the movements are on these plays and how quickly uh, directions get changed and how much space you're being asked to cover on a given kickoff return, on a given punt return, the consistency in which yardage and space is being covered on these plays is greater than an offensive play. I mean, on punt coverage, you know you're going to be running 30, 40 yards down the field and kick off maybe, you know, 60, 70 yards down the field. There's a chance on offenses you're not always playing in space. On these special teams units, you know you are, and there's just certain uh, characteristics of the athletes we need to deploy um, and making sure we have enough of the the quick-footed speed guys with the strong guys, but the best guys are the combinations of all of this. So we want as many linebackers, safeties, tight end types that really check a lot of these uh, athleticism boxes. Hey, we're on the same page because I, and it's funny. I think back to an interview I did with uh, a former Eagles special teams ace and Chris Maragos, who was on the Super Bowl team back in 17 and uh, played for the Eagles for a couple of years before that. Uh, you know, I remember talking with Chris. We did a long interview over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast and was asking me, you know, it feels like uh, a lot of people when it comes to like the NFL draft, and it's like, oh, well, you know, you have this like stiff linebacker. Oh, he's not, probably not good enough to play on defense, but he'll be a longtime special teamer. It's like, well, if he's not athletic enough to play defense, I mean, he's going to have issues on special teams as well. You have to be able to play in space. You've got to be able to cover ground. You're not going to be a good special teamer if you can't if you can't eat up grass and get downfield and make a play. Uh, so, yeah, no question. Your athleticism, your top-end speed, huge, huge part of being but it's able like, to be a But it's like player. we don't just field the coverage units with track stars either. Right. Go so it's, you know, or else we just put all our four, three guys on there and say, go run and be the first guy down there and make a play. Well, that's where the um, tough, that's where the toughness aspect comes into it. And then the, whatever our third traits are as well. 
Yeah, so my third trait is just going to be obviously general football traits. I need really good secure tacklers. I need guys that play off blocks. And a lot of times you're asked to do both those things on a given play. And um, everybody has to have the ability to do those. And I feel like the positions aren't as segmented on those coverage units in that, you know, these are our D tackles. The linebackers are going to make the tackles. No, everybody is in the conversation of either making the tackle, being blocked, getting off that block, and essentially just getting the ball carrier down. I think everybody has the potential to do that on a play, so you have to have that ability. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely a huge part of it. And for me, this is my third one as well, was the tackling aspect of it. Because, again, there are so many times where uh, we say we talk about a corner or a safety or a linebacker and say, like, Oh, you know, like tackling isn't isn't his best thing, but again, well, oh, he'll be a longtime special teamer. No, you can't, you can't, that, that can't be uh, equal. You have to be able to tackle. Uh, play, you have to be able to play through contact. You've got to have that level of play strength. Yeah, can you be a two hundred twenty pound linebacker on special teams if you're a great athlete and you're and you're really tough and competitive? Yeah, hundred percent. But you've got to be able to finish as a tackler. And there is a, an element of athleticism to that, by the way, because you are going. Let's just say kickoff coverage. You are going full speed. You have to break down and finish like that. That is a level of athleticism that you need along with the tackling. So, uh, yeah, no question to me. Uh, the tackling would be my third trait as well. So uh, the next phase of this, what is it that separates the elites? What is it that makes the, the pro bowl special teamer to go along with the guys that are good? What separates elite from good on this list? I'll let you take this one first, friend. All right. So for me, it was about who are the guys that can also help on offense or defense, right? It's the guys that, uh, you know, if it's a, um, you know, if it's a, a gunner, uh, oh, well, this guy is also our third or fourth corner and he's a, and he can really be a valuable part of our defense. Oh, well, uh, you know, it's a, um, you know, it's, this is a guy that's our dime linebacker or he's a, su- a sub package pass rusher. He's our blocking tight end. It's not just a guy that's buried on the depth chart and isn't playing, but it's also the guy that can bring you value on offense or defense, even if it's just on certain packages. You know, it's interesting because I saw you wrote here package player on offense, defense, and I kind of disagreed with that to an extent in that I thought package player was a find a way to deploy a specialized skill set. So that's, you know, a wildcat, you know, Mm. running back or a dime back or sub rusher, you know, blocking tight end, all those kind of specialized roles, finding ways to contribute. I just want you to have the ability to fill in spots on offense or defense. Um, whether it's, you know, the six corner, the six receiver, you know, backup lineman, maybe even the other side of the ball, as Mike Furry did with the Lions, who was a receiver. And on the drop of a hat, he played corner one game because that's what they needed. He was always a special teams ace, but those guys are kind of athletic ball of clay that, you know, you know, fit and help out wherever you can. And the other thing is, um, because the way I, I, you know, kind of push back there is, that package player on offense defense. Is that what makes him elite or good? Well, you look at Matthew Slater, who's been in the league for 13 years, primarily as a special team stalwart. He played 50 snaps on offense once. Mm. He really doesn't play on offense or defense yet. I think we'll both be willing to say he's one of the elite special teams players in this league. So what makes Matthew Slater elite? And I think it's the ability to also have a coach on the field for him. Yep. Not only knowing your job, but getting others in position, lined up assignments. And we see this all the time on game days. Things just go crazy on the sideline. You've been on the sideline of games. Cornerback gets a pick six, has to run 90 yards for him. He's tired. 
he says he pats his helmet afterwards. Somebody else go in and kick off and run down for me. Suddenly it's some guy on the bench that hasn't played before. Never did that cornerback spot or played C5 on the kickoff unit. He's not going to the special teams coach beforehand saying, what do I do? I tell you what, there's a coach on the field, that captain of the special teams unit that's saying, line up C4, here's your assignment, stay in this lane, hunt up this guy, stay in this lane here. That's important. And it's whether it's the Maragoses or the Matthew Slaters of the world or Kasim Osgoods, having that coach on the field is so important. I think that's where Matthew Slater separates himself from being good to elite. Who are the guys in this class that we feel definitely have that kind of skill set to project forward? There's a couple. I think there's some athletic tight ends and James Mitchell at Virginia Tech, Kenny Yaboa, a couple linebackers. Pete Warner has played over 400 snaps on special teams in his career. But it's a lot of these defensive backs and the safeties particularly. Aaron Robinson at UCF, the Alabama transfer, has played a lot of special teams. Mark Webb at Georgia. Trayvon Morick who seems to be, he might be the number one corner in the class, Trayvon Morgan at TCU. Special teams MVP as a true freshman on the team. Love and that. I know we both love seeing that. Elijah Molden, probably the best nickel in the country. Nearly 500 special team snaps in his career. You know, he's a senior nickel. He came back for a senior year. He ran down on kickoff last week against Stanford and made tackle. You know, I love seeing that. James Wiggins, Cincinnati, hasn't had the best college career. He's had a lot of injuries. He's been on the freak list a lot. He has a lot of athleticism. He's one of those very well-rounded players that I think is the very end of the day, he's going to be a special teams guy for you. And, you know, I love finding these guys that you just feel are safe and you know they can contribute for you. Yeah, a couple guys I would just add to that list, the Houston linebacker, uh, Grant Stewart. You and I have both watched him on film. Uh, really athletic kid, former safety. He, You would watch him play. He's got outstanding play speed. He's tough. He's always going a million miles an hour. This is a guy I feel like, yeah, he's got that skill set to project well to that role. And then another guy uh, we've talked about a number of times here on the show, it's Racy McMath. Easy, easy, projectable because he's done it at a high level. He did it last year for the national title team uh, that won down in LSU. He's now the more que- the question with with McMath is, does he have that ability to be more than that? We know that he can be a, a fourth or fifth receiver. Can he be a top three receiver for your team? And that's why you get into that conversation of like a Mac Collins, a similar kind of player with his size, speed, toughness. Does he have that ability to be more? You feel good that he can come in and at least definitely provide that special teams value. So guys like McMath, I absolutely love who are a high recruit. He just seemed like he absolutely embraced that special teams role with enthusiasm. He knew he had Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in front of him. That's okay. I'm going to contribute wherever I can and do it with a lot of energy. And I promise you that is definitely noticeable in, in the eyes of scouts. No question. Well, uh, Ben, this has been great as always. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We'll be back early next week. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Excited to welcome in here to the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA, one of the best analysts in the business from ESPN, Dan Orlovsky. Dan, thanks for joining me on the show, man. It's good to be with you, bud. All right, well, let's get to uh, you. Obviously, have been doing games all season long for ESPN. You're grinding the film, watching these guys. I want to know, who's the player that you've had in a game this year that has kind of exceeded those expectations that you had going into the broadcast? Surprisingly, it's Kyle Pitts out of Florida. You know, like, I thought Kyle Pitts was a really good player, you know, and watching him on tape reminds me so much of Travis Kelsey with his game, with – 
you know, his feel of space, the way he runs his route, he's very rhythmic and great, just um, just great understanding of body leverage and lean and, and kind of a watery type of player. Watching him in person was unbelievable. I mean, he is arguably the best player in college football that doesn't play quarterback. That's the that, that's how I felt walking out of the football game. Like he's that good of a player. Um, and I had high expectations for him. So I, I'm so excited to see kind of what he does in their bowl game. And then also as he heads into the NFL. I feel like for, for tight ends now in the NFL, the guys that are like upper echelon are the guys that can dictate coverage. Do you feel Kyle can be that kind of guy at the next level? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he is going to be a weapon where, I mean, he's got to be used. You can't ask him to be George Kittle. That's not who he's going to be, but right. you got to ask him to be Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, Darren Waller type of players. Yeah. Yep, sure. All right, I know you love uh, grinding through these quarterbacks as well, whether you're doing them that week in college football or not. I know that you've gotten called games for a lot of the top passers in the nation already. Who's the quarterback that has really kind of piqued your interest most from the guys that you've studied or called so far this year? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I think Justin Fields. Hmm. You know, like, I know what Trevor Lawrence is. I've had six or seven games of this. I know how great he is. I haven't had the opportunity to pay a ton of attention to Zach Wilson. Um, Justin Fields, I had his game. I had a game of his last year. I was like, man, this kid's a nice player. And then I had a game of his this year, and I'm like, this kid's a good player. And I'm going to be so intrigued to think or to watch to see if people actually go, it's one-two between him and Trevor Lawrence. Like, is there a conversation for him to go one above Trevor? Because as great as he's been with like the athleticism and as great as he's been with, you know, some, some of their dialed up play action passes, I do want to see like, okay, how fast can you get from two to three? How fast can you get from one to two? How, how well can you operate when things aren't schemed open for you? Cause I think there's a little bit left to be desired there for me, you know, and watching his growth and development in that aspect. Um, I'll be really interested to see how people perceive Mac Jones, you know, because if Mac Jones was coming out 10 years ago, we're probably having a different conversation because he is such your traditional drop back passing quarterback. A lot of those good traits plays in rhythm, sees it, trusts it and rip it accurate layers, throws great anticipation, but he does nothing outside of the pocket that gets you excited. And so I don't think you could play in the NFL right now. Like, with that part of your game. And so, but I'll be really interested to see what the perception of Justin Fields is. Yeah. I feel like the comparison between those two, you talked about how they would have been viewed a decade ago as to now. I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of how people will view Mac Jones at this point versus how Justin Fields will be viewed. I mean, I, I know when I studied him over the summer uh, going off 2019, I had kind of those same concerns. I was like, all right, like what can you do when that first or second answer is taken away? But the more you watch around the NFL, I, you know, early on for him, hopefully, if he goes to the right kind of system, uh, hopefully that won't be that much of an issue for him and he can kind of grow into that a little bit. But I'm really, really interested to just watch how he's able to develop. And obviously situation uh, will be a big part of that as it is for every one of these young quarterbacks. So uh, my next question for you, who's the most explosive player you've seen this year? We know that you know the NFL is all about game uh, as a game of uh, explosive short area bursts. And you can take that any way you want. You know, offense, defense, uh, you know, defensive lineman getting off the ball, wide receivers in space, defensive back. Whoever you think of first when I say the term explosive, who is the guy that has most stood out to you this year? 
Devontae Smith. Mm. I mean, Devontae Smith is absolutely spectacular. That will probably be the difference between him and Jamar Chase. In mm. people's eyes, Jamar Chase coming out of LSU. Devontae's got that that explosive aspect to his game. And I look at explosion a little bit differently. Like, it's I don't think of it as just straight line juice. Yep. Like, his ability to be explosive off the line of scrimmage with his route running. His ability to be explosive in and out of cuts. His ability to be explosive when he's when he's running step by step with a defender and the ball's in the air and then the explosion to the football, whether it's, you know, a horizontally thing where he's trying to catch the ball um, horizontally or going back to the football, like that explosive aspect of his game. And so Devontae Smith would be a guy that is, is super high when it comes to just what, who stood out to me when I got to watch them. Yeah, he's a, a certainly one of the top players in college football. You mentioned uh, with Kyle Pitts, maybe the best non-quarterback. I think Smith uh, will be right there in that discussion at the end as well. Um, last question for you. Who's a guy or two that you've had in games this year that you're surprised you're not hearing more about in terms of projecting to the NFL, whether it's you know uh, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, or just everybody uh, that's projecting these guys to the next level? Is there a name or two that you're like, man, like why aren't we talking about this guy a little bit more? Yeah, um, I'm gonna give you. I got I got my college boards here, so let me. I'm gonna throw a couple names out. All right, let's hear um, it. I think Travis Etienne. Sure. I, I think Etienne. Like, I, I just think like everything that he does is exactly what you want out of the tailback. Mm. Like exactly what you want, and I think everyone, like we we know the minimization of tailbacks when it comes to the NFL right now and whatnot. But I just. He's really, really, really special as a back. And he's someone that I think needs to be higher when it comes to that conversation. You know, Cornell Powell out of Clemson, sure. a receiver yep. who's like, you know, Nick Saban said something to me last week that I I really found interesting because I asked him this question. I said, hey, you know, what's really been the, you know, the thing that has allowed Devontae to take his, Devontae Smith, to take his game to the next level? And he said, opportunity. He's like, we, Devontae's always been Devontae Smith. He just had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs here. And I feel like that's the same with Cornell Powell. Like, they just had T. Higgins and Justin Ross and some really, really good receivers. And he's now, like, getting the opportunity to play and playing really well. So, uh, he's somebody that kind of, like, that stood out in my, my mind um, as a really nice player. Um, I think Najee Harris, again, another tailback that, you know, just because he plays tailback, we don't talk about enough. I'll throw you a defensive guy. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a defensive. Uh, <laughs> this this kid, Davion Nixon from Iowa. Um, I did two Iowa games this year, and I was just like, hey, this kid, 54 from Iowa, just keeps making problems. Like, he keeps creating problems on. And, you know, interior defensive linemen are such a big deal uh, nowadays in the NFL. So, uh, that was a name that I thought, you know, just as an offensive guy, big like, man, I don't want to deal with that guy. Um, Chris Olave, I, I, I think, I think his game is is just so custom made. His ball skills, his route running, is so custom made for the NFL. So those would be some names that kind of stood out to me. Dude, Olave's feet are so good too. He is he is certainly one of my favorite players uh, to yeah. watch, especially at the receiver position. Dan. Dude, you are a busy, busy guy. Really, yeah. really appreciate you taking a few minutes for us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon, man. Now it's time for Pick 6. 
Well, back for more action this week here on Pick 6, my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, I picked up another game on you this past week uh, with UNC just drubbing the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, You took Miami, I took UNC. That was the only game that uh, either of us went the other way on, and I was able to come up with the W. So uh, now, that being said, uh, let's see what you you got this week. But, Ross, I mean, five-game lead. We're only a a few weeks left here in college football, and you factor in the Bulls. uh, Time is starting to run out on you, my friend. No, I know, but I got to ask this because I was doing the Army Navy game. Yeah. How could Miami be that bad? Like, they, how could they give up 500 yards rushing? The, the tackling was horrific, uh, especially at the second, like, you, in terms of like second and third level safeties coming down from depth. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Um, it was it was it was not a good performance for that Miami defense and both of those guys. I mean Carter and Williams are both. I mean they're both NFL backs. We talked about them a lot on this show. Um, but those guys, I mean, it was it was a drubbing. Uh, not a great performance uh, for Manny Diaz and that defense for sure. Um, they've had a good year and, and uh, you know surprised some people. I don't know if a lot of people felt like they would have the record that they have at this point. Uh, but that that showing was not good uh, for certain going into a uh, potential postseason here for Miami. That being said. Dude, we've got championship week. We've made it to the – I mean, it doesn't quite feel that way, which is weird, um, but we're, we're here for a championship week here in college football, and we're going to start our first pick here, the Pac-12 title, which has already gotten a little bit uh, turned on its head. USC is now going to take on Oregon. They initially were going to take on Washington, but uh, COVID-19 prevented the Huskies from partaking in this game, so the Pac-12 put Oregon into the game. USC Trojans, uh, undefeated. They're 6-0 right now in the Pac-12. Who do you like here, though, Ross? You take USC or are you taking the Ducks? I'm taking USC. Now, I will say this. There have been some instances in history where, like, a team gets a break like this, like Oregon, and they make the most of it, whereas USC is kind of like, wait, we're playing Oregon, and it's not, you know, maybe they don't prepare in quite the same way. But that USC team, they have found a way to win games late. Keaton Slovis Looked like they might lose to UCLA. Nope. Yep. He found a way late. So I'm going to continue to show faith in Slovis and the Trojans to find a way to get done late. And that's the thing, man. Like, you look at, you look at their schedule this year. I mean, they played Arizona State in the opener. They won by a point. I remember watching that game, 28-27. They beat Arizona by four. They beat Utah by a couple scores, and that was a little bit of a revenge game after Utah uh, kind of gave it to them the, the year before. Washington State, they blew out. But UCLA was a tight one. They've, but you're right. I mean, they've come out to try to find ways to win games. I would not count out Mario Cristobal and this Oregon team. I know there's all the talk about, you know, could Cristobal be leaving? Could he be taking another job? I'm still going to take USC. I like the, the wide receiver duo there. And I'm, I'm on Ross St. Brown, the underclassman. You get the senior Tyler Vaughn, who I talked about earlier this week. This kid is a crisp route runner. Showed the ability to go up and win uh, at the catch point. Oregon's got a good secondary. They've got young talent there. Um, but I lo- and I, that's a matchup uh, certainly to watch. But to me, I, I'm going to take the Trojans here. I, I agree with you. I will go uh, with USC on Friday night. Um, all right, let's go to the next one here. Big 12. This is a big one, too. A little bit of a rematch here. Oklahoma. Iowa State, the Cyclones upset Oklahoma early in the season. Uh, both teams coming in. I think Oklahoma has won seven straight. Iowa State has won five straight. Who do you like here in this one? I like Oklahoma, and uh, this might be a theme for these next couple for me, but really hard to beat a team twice. Really hard to beat a team twice. And I think Oklahoma is playing much better now. 
than they were earlier in the season. I feel like people kind of forgot about Spencer Rattler because he had a couple tough games early. He's played really well ever since then, as has the whole Oklahoma team. And I think they get revenge on that earlier loss. I like the Sooners. The guy who I think really could be the X factor in this one for them would be Ramon J. Stevenson, the uh, Derrick Henry light uh, type running back there for the Sooners. I, he did not play, I don't believe, or he was not the featured back uh, at this point in the season or the last time these two teams played. But dude, I'm going to go Iowa State here. And I thought about the same thing you did in terms of uh, it's tough to beat the same team twice. But, you know, I look at Iowa State and everybody just keeps sleeping on them. And you look at Brees Hall, he absolutely ripped through that Oklahoma defense earlier this year, uh, the talented running back for the Cyclones. I look at Brock Purdy. He did not come out of the gate playing well. He was, uh, you know, th- th- there were a lot of turnover-worthy throws, uh, just did not look comfortable, uh, you know, early on this season. But that being said, over the last month and change, he has kind of turned it around. And, and I feel like when you look at this Iowa State offense, it's a plucky defense going up against Oklahoma. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be back and forth. But I'm going to take Matt Campbell. I'm going to take the Cyclones here uh, to come out with a little bit of an upset here uh, over Oklahoma. So we'll go separate here on the Big 12 title. Let's get to the big one, though. Let's get to the uh, ACC title. Two top four teams here. Clemson, Notre Dame, rematch from earlier this season. Ross, I have a feeling you kind of teased it where you're going to go here with this one. Yeah, I'm going Clemson. And I, honestly, either one of these, whether it's Iowa State or Notre Dame, I would be so impressed if they got the win to beat the mm. other team twice. It's very difficult to do. Clemson obviously has Trevor Lawrence, although they put up a bunch of points in that first matchup with DJ anyway. But I just think with Clemson, it's a different game. I'm sorry, with Lawrence, it's a different game. And Trevor Lawrence able to – I think it's just a different mindset. I think they still have better athletes. I've been so impressed by Ian Book and Notre Dame this year. This would be – I mean, this would be huge for the college football playoff. Notre Dame was able to beat Clemson. I don't see it happening. Give me the Tigers. I mean, Clemson kicked four field goals in that last one in a seven-point game. You know, I just feel like Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to punch a couple of those in, into the end zone. Uh, that's a, a different kind of ball game. That's on the road in South Bend last time. Uh, I'm also going to take Clemson here. I, I feel like uh, this Tigers team will, be, will come into this game a little extra motivation, a little, little extra motivation, a little extra juice uh, for this one. I'm going to take the Clemson Tigers. So uh, we've only gone separate here on one of the first three. Let's see how we go in the final three. I went with over over under here, Ross. Completions by Justin Fields, again uh, the Ohio State quarterback in the Big Ten title, or the Ohio State margin of victory over Northwestern. I just, I just said this is either or. Which number do you think is higher? The completions by Fields against Northwestern or the Buckeyes margin of victory? Uh, which one are you taking here in the Big Ten championship? Yeah, this is a tough one. I've kind of gone back and forth on it, but – I do think Fields completes 20 or more passes because I don't think they're going to be very effective running the football against Northwestern. Uh, But I don't think they win by more than 20. I think Northwestern uh, keeps it a little bit closer than that, kind of like Indiana did. So – I'll take completions by fields. Yeah, I, I, was, I felt the same way, man, because I, the more I thought about it, I was like, all right, I know that they've got some running backs there and Teague and, and Sermon, obviously, but then you look at uh, if Ohio State's going to win this game, I feel like it's going to be on the arm of Justin Fields. So that being said, I, I feel like, look, if, they, if they're going to win by a decent amount, he's going to be throwing a lot of passes. Uh, so I'm going to go here with the completions. I do kind of agree with you, though. And, Ross, 
did you kind of think about taking Northwestern as like a dark horse upset? Like, would that like completely blow you away in your mind? I guess that obviously that would be shocking, but how would you feel about a Northwestern potential upset here over the Buckeyes? Well, personally, I'd feel awesome about it because <laughs> I, I love underdogs. I love upsets and it would really throw the college football playoff. Yes, it would. Can you imagine if Cincinnati got in the college football playoff and Ohio State didn't? I mean, that would be amazing. I don't think it would happen, but, uh, yeah, I think it would be great. And, look, I gave Northwestern a chance, just like Indiana gave, gave Ohio State a game. I think Northwestern gives them a game. So let's go to – I have a similar one here for this next either war. All right, so we're going to go completions by Kyle Trask in the SEC title against Alabama or Alabama's margin of victory. So uh, who do you, what do you like here, the completions by Trask or do you like the tide to kind of roll here? Completions by Trask, again, uh, because Alabama's going to be leading. Florida's going to have to throw the ball a lot. Trask's going to throw the ball a lot. He's going to have 20 to 30 completions in this game. I don't know that Alabama wins by that much. So I feel almost better about this one than I do about the Fields one. Completions by Trask. Oh, dude, I, I, I'm taking Alabama here. Um, they just they, – they blow everybody out, man. I just they, – they've never – they have not really – been overly tested much at all this season. I mean, what they did to LSU, what they've done to Georgia, what they did to some of the best teams on the schedule, uh, Texas A&M, that was the only game the A&M was not really in this season. I- I'm going to take Alabama here. And, I- and I'm going to say, even though Trask, I mean, he might complete uh, 30 passes. He might complete 39 passes. That might seem silly. I'm going to take Bama here, especially I got the five-game lead on you. Uh, if I lose this one, great. If not, I get to pull my title on the back and say I picked Alabama to completely blow out Florida. Uh, here in the SEC title. Uh, last one, our upset special. Ross, this was a tough one for me. Uh, not a lot of games I felt great about in terms of the underdog. Uh, who was your big upset to win here this weekend? Yeah, I'm going Minnesota. Ooh, I'm going okay. the Golden Gophers. Wisconsin's struggling, man. I, I don't know what happened to them yeah. after a couple games early on where they looked like they were unbeatable against Illinois and Michigan. Wisconsin can't score. So I like Minnesota to get the win over the Badgers. So I went back and forth here on a couple different games. I'm actually going to go with the AAC title here, Tulsa over Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati, they're they're very, very good defensively. they got guys at all three levels. You go offensively. I mean, what Ritter has done, uh, the quarterback there for Cincinnati, really, really impressive. I think they're extremely well coached. But then I look, I'm like, all right, oh, who are the guys, who are the teams here that could pull the upset? It's somebody that could play good defense and make some big plays on defense, go the other way. And I look at what Tulsa has done this year. They've been able to do that. They've been able to take plays the other way. They've been able to score on defense. I like Tulsa here uh, in the upset. That'll be my dark horse pick. I think Cincinnati's going to win this game, but I think of, of the championship games and trying to pick who's got the best chance to, to pull the upset, uh, I'll take Tulsa here over Cincinnati. Uh, Ross? We'll see, man. We'll see if you can gain some ground on me here again. Like I said, time running out on you here to the uh, end of the college football season. Yeah, I'm going to get a couple this week, and I'll just keep chipping away till the end. That's right. All right. Well, Ross, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed this late week episode of the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. It's going to be a great weekend of college football. Hope you guys enjoyed. As a quick reminder, again, throw us a rating, throw us a comment on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate it if you can do that. It's the best way to spread the word on this podcast. We'll be back next week. Can't wait to join up with Dane Brugler and Ben Fellner to break down this weekend's action. Until then, though, enjoy the weekend. We'll see you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.